This message on Deuteronomy 8 by Rev. Paul Bucknell. Developing strong Christian lives is part of a larger series in Deuteronomy, Looking Back and Moving Forward. This was presented at Oakland International Fellowship in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you're looking for a quick remedy, well, be careful. This passage explains why. We're continuing on a series through the book of Deuteronomy, exciting series of looking back and moving forward. Today, our special focus is developing strong Christian lives. What do you do when all of a sudden you find yourself in the midst of a big difficulty, a trial, some disease you discover, a financial crisis? Do you go around quickly look for a remedy? It's interesting uh, what people might do. Go buy this thing or go talk to that person, make certain decisions. Sometimes, actually, these quick remedies don't work too well. Uh, there was some that recently wrote to me. I just confronted him with the truth. Uh, he wanted a quick remedy to his spiritual problem. I told him, hey, this is what you need to do. You need to get down deeper. There's no quick remedy there. I mean, you can solve it, but you need to change. He responded back, I've always known the truth about my life. I guess the truth is harder to accept than I ever anticipated. That's probably a very, very true statement. As more I think about it, sometimes we know the answers, but we want those quick remedies. Last week, I was doing some painting on the back with my children in the back of my house. It's always easy to get volunteers to paint, make it look real nice, because uh, we had a lot of cracking, a lot of peeling, and it looked pretty bad. But it's hard to get people to join me in the hard process about preparing it to paint, the scraping and the filling in the holes and uh, priming it and, and things of that nature. A lot of extra work, a lot of extra work, much more time than just the painting. But sometimes we just want to quickly solve things. We don't really want deep answers that satisfy for a long time. We want those short answers that just get me over the hump so I can get on with my life. God wants to give us the real answers that solve things for the long term, not just the short term. And through this chapter, I trust that we'll be able to provide that more solid basis to help us, a framework, you might say, a foundation for our spiritual lives by which we can interpret and deal and handle all those different difficulties we face in life might not answer all your questions, but it provides a deeper basis for which you in the future can find answers and work through them. As we go through the book of Deuteronomy, there are four major sections. We have talked about reconnecting with God's purpose. But in the second section, reflecting on God's person, uh, we are actually trying to understand as God through Moses, was reintroducing himself to those people who traveled through the wilderness so that they could make and enter a covenant with him with knowledge. God, in the same way, is revealing himself to us, showing special aspects about his person, the way he works with us, so that we can grow in that covenant we, we have with him. Now, we are not under the old covenant, as these Jewish people were and the Israelites as they were going soon to cross the Canaan River and go into the land of uh, Canaan. We are in the new covenant under the, in the blood of Jesus. And that covenant is, is secured through our belief in Christ. He died, he came alive, and our service to him. 
But in the same way, we all need a fresh new picture of who Jesus is, who God is. How does he deal with us in our situations? And I would just uh, suggest here, it's often because we are n- don't know God well enough. We don't know how he handles his people so that we find difficulties every time we go through a crisis in our life. Now, today we're talking about developing strong Christian lives. And there will be three major topics that we'll focus on. The first one is embracing God's purpose. You might look at these as three things we need to do to lay that good, strong foundation for a strong Christian life. We need to embrace God's good purposes. We build up our faith and ward against doubt by remembering God's good purposes, even in difficult times. Okay, so we embrace God's good purposes. Secondly, we understand life's experiences. We deepen our intimacy with the Lord by remembering his wonderful ways in our past and great future plans ahead. And thirdly, we respond to our Lord's dealings. We develop a strong Christian life by obeying and remembering him. Before we go on, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Lord, there's no doubt that you want to build up your people to have them to be strong men and women of God, men and women of faith that be able to weather any sort of storm that they face in this world. We pray, God, that you take your word and build us up, build our faith up, strengthen us, Lord, that even with the onslaught of the evil one and the world forces massing around your people, that we would stand strong like a Daniel, like a Joseph, like Jesus, determined to do your will, And always rejoicing that you are with us. Bless and teach us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. We'll go through each of these three points one by one. And uh, won't spend much time on the end. We'll just kind of put that in the conclusion. Uh, But if you read on later, you'll be able to understand more as you uh, look through that. So if you do have Deuteronomy 8, you might want to open to it. It's a long, longer chapter, 20 verses, so we don't have time to uh, read all the um, verses there. But we will focus on certain ones within the chapter. The first thing I'd like to do is talk about how we need to embrace God's good purposes. So one of the problems we have is that we don't understand God's purposes for our lives. And because we don't understand his purposes, the way he deals with us and what he's trying to do, Uh, We really have a lot of conflict. Every time we have trouble in our life, we want God to help us to straighten it out so we can get what we want done. What I'm suggesting here is that God wants us to understand what his purpose is and that we align ourselves with what he's trying to do. In other words, we interpret what we're facing in life with what he's trying to do. He will regularly work with his people the same way across the centuries, across the millenniums. So if we understand the way he deals with his people here, we can gain a lot of insight in the way he'll deal with our own lives. Now, just in Deuteronomy 8 itself, there's five times that there's this purpose clause. That you, that you. You notice the word that, okay? Verse 1. I'll just read through these, but you can look at them as as they're highlighted there. Verse 8, Deuteronomy 8.1. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. 
So this is a purpose clause, something that God says, I'm doing this, I'm telling you this, for purpose. There's a reason that you may. Verse 2, here's another one. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you might keep his commandments or not. Verse 3, there's another purpose clause. You see, God is really determined. He has a reason he's doing things. And sometimes we're so oblivious, we miss out on everything. Verse 3, And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Mouth of the Lord, excuse me. Verse 18, uh, verse 16, excuse me. In the wilderness, he fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. That he might test you, you see. Verse 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is his day is this day five purposes now i would suggest and I'm, what i'm doing for convenience sake is overlapping this uh, there's two of them overlap and so we'll just focus on three of them the first three perhaps and we'll be able to understand a little bit more what god is trying to do in this world so what is god up to how does he handle our lives well, the first thing he wants us to know is that he wants us to experience his great blessings. He wants us to experience his great blessings. Can you read this with me? Verse 1. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. So all the commands I've given to you, I have a reason for it. What's the reason? You may live and multiply, go in and possess the land. So what do we find here? We find that God really wants to bless these people. To live, not die. To multiply, not just add. To go in and possess the land. To have everything to yourselves. Just like he promised long ago. God is about giving promises and fulfilling them. He wants to bless his people. And it's just amazing when we step back and understand this. Now, why does God say this? Because more than often, we do not believe he really wants to bless us. Now, generally, we would say we all like that, and that's good. But we not all, in the same way, believe it. The way we believe it is when we're tested, we don't know. All of a sudden, we wonder, does he really want to bless me? I have this one person writing to me right now. I, I, I'm afraid to trust God because I don't know he's going to disappoint me again. You, do you get that way once in a while? Well, if I trust him, what if it doesn't work out? I can tell you God would never say that because God says it will always work out. He's always working it to our, bless, our, our greater purpose. If you read with me also these verses from 7 to 9. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, 
a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you shall eat food without scarcity, in which you shall not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. What amazing. Do you think God has thought about those things? He has actually put the copper in the land for them. He's arranged the, you know, the atmosphere in such a way that it has the fountains, it has the springs. God is a great provider. God is a great provider. He takes care of them. And he has those promises because he intends on fulfilling them. Now, this is the first thing we need to understand. God purposes to bless us. Our response? That no matter what we face in life, we will always deeply believe he will work it out for the greater good, for my well-being and for those around me. Can you say that? Now, the key is no matter what happens. Because he's not going to change and his dealings with us will not change. There might be some of those things in there that kind of make us question whether it's good or best. But God says, no, you need to trust me here. And that's what we see in the great men and women of God. That in the midst of their trials, they found their hope led them through it and they found great blessing. Let's go on to the next purpose that God has. The way he deals with us. Verse 2. Again, read with me, please. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Most of us just want to stop with this verse 1. God loves me, that's good enough. But the thing is, if that's our only mentality, we're going to face a problem because we don't know how to deal with issues in life. You see, you must, like me, have to understand that we will go through certain times that we call humbling circumstances. Things don't work out the way we want. I didn't get that grade. I wasn't able to enter that college. I wasn't able to get that job. I wasn't able to have that child or marry that person or whatever it might be. We're going through humbling circumstances. We're going to go through times of testing. Now, those times are when they're not going our way. But God says, actually, who's doing it? He's going to do this. He's leading us through such times for a purpose. Now, God is right telling you all, verse 1, I want to bless you. But verse 2, I'm going to take you through difficult times. God wants it to give us a whole picture so we can understand anything, any handle, any crisis that comes up in our life. Because any of those circumstances, whether it be some disease or disaster or tragedy, we can trust God through those times. For after all, we're not just trying to get our life done. We're trying to see what God is trying to do through our lives. Now, let's think about a little more carefully here. These humility, this humility and these testings. He wants to know what was in your heart. Now, do you think God knows what's in our heart? God knows what's in our heart. So you say, good, you don't need to test me. But God says, no, I still need to test you. So what is he doing? I think he's, he's trying to help us to understand, to know what really is in our heart. 
Because when we go through the different circumstances, what is in our heart will show through our decisions and our response. For example, Philippians 4, in everything give thanks. Thanks. But I'm complaining about this. Well, there's a testing there. And that reveals that you don't really have your full joy in the Lord, but only in the things he gives you. And he took that away, and you can't keep that joy in your heart. You've left the Lord. You've turned away from him. You see? A little trial goes a long way in revealing what's in our heart. Actually, he says he does it to see if we would obey him and to keep his commandments, to see whether he is more important than anything else we would face in life. God really desires that you would love him with all your heart and soul and mind, not hold back anything in your life to say, okay, Lord, even if I have to go through that, I will still love you. I still want that heart full of joy because your way is the best. You see, all through life, we have to understand we are trying to discern God's purposes and live out his purpose in our life. Most of us, unfortunately, we're f trying to live out our purpose. We see a way through life that, oh, yeah, I can get it. I can get that money. I can get that. No, 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 no. That's not the way. Those are only the means to carry out God's purpose. Those things we all give up to the Lord to see how he would work in our life. I want to talk about this a little bit more, but in, in a little different context. I want to try to make this a little bit more practical. So in verse 1, we talked about a purpose, God's purpose, to make us prosperous. There's no doubt about that. God, in his purpose, deliberately wants to cause us to really be blessed. In fact, if you look at the world where the gospel is gone, there's what we call social uplift. It's a phenomenon. Wherever the gospel goes, the whole society grows to be better, more wealthy, and blessed. Uh, you can just see it if you just look at missionology and study where missions have gone. There's no doubt about it. Bring the gospel and you'll bring more honest people, a better society, and uh, better families. So we can know that God's ways, he always blesses. He will not stop blessing his people. Now, the prosperity teaching, there's a, there's a group, many preachers, who would teach that this is God's purpose to bless us and make us prosperous. Is this true? I know you're all very cautious right now. But it is true. As we looked in the one purpose of God, yes, he wants to prosper us. He does want to bless us in different aspects of our life. Uh, later on, at the end of the chapter, he says, I even given you the power of wealth. You know, that's not, wow, rings money, you know, cashier in people's ears. Power of wealth. I wish I had that power. How do I get that power? But God has a way, but he has to be careful how he implements it. Now, I want to look at verse 2. Now, we also say there's testings there. There's trials. Uh, and, and we looked at this already. And so we will e experience trials in our life. Now, the problem is prosperity teaching only teaches about the purpose number one. It doesn't bring into line all the other different purposes that God has in our lives. And because of that, it's not true when you just take it by itself. There's elements of truth, as we looked at very carefully. But it's not true when you just look at life and interpret all I experience through that one lens. 
God says, I do all these things to do good for you in the end. To do good for you in the end. In other words, even through our trials, we can trust God. So biblical teaching would say what? Take both of these together. And even the next purpose I'll talk about, there's other ones. Accept them. Let them be part. Embrace them, would you? I know to embrace God's blessing is one thing. But going through trials, can you also still embrace this purpose of God? It is necessary. And I hope you do. Because you will find when you go through difficult times, it is there that God will wonderfully bless you. Let me give an example. I remember when I was uh, studying at Bible college, I was a foreign missions major. One of my... uh, prerequisites uh, for graduating is going on a short-term mission. And God led me to uh, go to Asia, Singapore, Malaysia. And so I said, okay, uh, you lead, you provide. But I came from a very poor family, and I didn't. No one was, you know, giving me any money. And so finally the mission agency called up, you know, this is already the summer. Well, you know, uh, your money hasn't come in yet. Uh, do you have that, or should we just consider that you're not going? And, of course, this had to do with my graduation, but it really, in my heart, I really wanted to go so badly. Probably some of you want to go home back to Singapore. It's probably like that. I really did want to go. I didn't know how good the food was. That wasn't particularly attracting me, but I was interested in serving the Lord. So I said, I really want to go, Lord. I mean, and I was, you know, the temptation, should I trust him or not? I said, well, I asked the mission. I said, can I eat? When's the very, very last day? And they said, you have three more days. Oh, so this was a crisis, a trial, right? I had to look in my life. How was God going to provide? So I pray, I pray, I pray. And uh, looking to him, I don't know what to do. And would you believe, on the very last day, very last moment, someone asked me, out of the blue, by the way, how's that trip going, your plans? I answered that person and said, well, I'll do something for you. And they took me right to the bank and got the money for the trip. So when people say last-minute provision, I know all about that. More than once, more than once. And I still never, I don't like it still, but I've learned that God can provide at the last minute. But it became something that was essential in my life that shaped my own faith. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But we will go through difficult times. And I could at that point just quit and give up. But something I wanted, I wanted to hang on and see God provide. And I'm encouraging you to be those people that hang on and trust God to provide. He wants to show himself great as a provider. So just to sum up again here, you know, we're looking at all the biblical teaching includes all the purposes, the way, reason God handles us. I want to look at one more purpose. And in fact, it involves both of these. Let's look and read together verse 3, if you would. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Now, we will talk more about this in the next major point. But the third point is that God is involved in our life. 
God is involved in a very, very uh, clear way. He says, first of all, you know, that he's involved in the way he provides for us. He's involved in the way that he speaks and that we uh, are sustained through what he says. Man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. We know that God has spoken. The whole creation came into existence. We also know that the whole world is sustained by the word of God. Everything, our whole world, the sovereignty of God is at play in all the small and big things that happen in our life. Often we only look at God to be involved in the very big things. And even some of those big things like chaotic events, we still don't think he's involved. He says he's involved in everything that happens. Notice in verse 3, he humbled you. He let you be hungry. That was God. Was God there when they went hungry? You say, God can't do that. He would never starve the children. He would never make you go without food. That's a mean God. Do I exaggerate or do some of you feel that way? But God says that. But see, he's involved in a way that perhaps more than we ever think. We don't know he's involved in this way. But he says, yes, I'm here. In fact, I'm bringing you through this time. But he also says, I fed you with manna, which you did not know. Well, let me read a few more verses here. He says in verse 4, your clothing did not wear out on you. Nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you were to know your heart. The Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Verse 15. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water. He brought water for you in the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you with manna. You see, it's God who provides. It's God who sustains you. It's God who provided them with footwear that did not wear out, with clothes. What's this? A soul, not my the soul, right? I, it is my soul, but not the invisible one. It's a soul. You know, I must have wore these maybe 80 days. And here it already broke off and fell off. How many days in 40 years? 14,600 for you math wizards. And uh, 14,600 days. And their clothes didn't wear out. Their sandals didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell. You know, God, were these were the greatest people on earth? These were the very people that tested God. And yet God was said, I'm with you. And I'm going to make it. I mean, he could have just said, sorry, guys, your clothes are just going to wear right out. Uh, your your soles, your, your sandals, it's going to be hot for you walking on that desert. I'm going to make it hard for you because you're hard for me. And yet God says, I'm going to give you food every day. I'm going to make it so your clothes, you know, are, are well. You might complain about the style, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't change. <laughs> but it was there. You see, 
God will take people through trials, but he's there in a special way when he does because he has a greater purpose of training those very same people. He cares. Once they went in and crossed that river and ate from the fruit of the land of Canaan, God stopped that manna from coming. All those six days, every six days of every week. For 40 years, God did this. He was so patient and so kind. God's involved in your life. Welcome him. In everything, small and big. And when we begin to look at life this way, that he, you know, in this case, that he, he did these things. Why? That he might make you understand that it's not just the bread, the physical loaf that you live by, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, you lived your life because of me. And I am involved in your life. When you can embrace this truth, your whole perspective of life will change. Your workplace will become an area of ministry. Your home will be a place of living before the Lord. Let me just summarize these three points. God wants to prosper us. Never doubt God's good intention. It's true. Some of those promises we will see fulfilled in the long run. Like those men of faith listed in Hebrews 11. They did not see those, some of those promises fulfilled on earth. But they will see them. They will see them fulfilled. Number two, God will try our hearts. Expect trials. Learn from them. What have you learned from them? God is involved in your life. Don't think he's far away during those trials. No, he's there. When you trust him, you welcome him. You work with him. Your whole perception of life will change. And you'll be able to handle crisis as well as good times. Because this is one of the struggles that the Israelites would face. God warned them, and we'll look at this warning in a minute, as we understand more about the experiences that we go through. So we're here looking at embracing God's purpose. We're going to go on the second point and understand life's experiences. We, in one sense, these points overlap, but they have a special purpose. So we're here talking here about foundational spiritual experiences. And he humbled you. And let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. In other words, in order to get God's purpose done, he was quite willing to do miracles. They are not beyond him. In fact, he likes doing them. It's not hard for him. But because the main purpose is our training. So that we can be rewarded and blessed. So he does these things. That he might make you understand. Now, we went through a number of the purpose clauses, remember? That you might prosper. That you might... Okay. Well, this one is the one we're focusing a lot, is that he might make you understand. In other words, we have to have a certain perspective of this world, of our lives, if we're of God, if we are really going to be able to handle these things rightly. Otherwise, when we go through experiences, we won't be able to interpret them correctly. This is what I want to focus on a little bit more. In other words, there's a special spiritual knowledge to help us to discern truth, if you would, what God is really like and how he works with our life. So what is it that he really wants you to understand? That man does not live by bread alone, 
He's not just living for money. You know what the world says, right? Everything runs by money. If you want to look at the purpose for anything in this world, look at where the money comes from. Oh, so many different people have said that to me. That's totally not true. You see, God has a greater purpose. He doesn't care about the money. God is working. There's different things that are happening in the universe that we can trust God on. And to understand these is so important. So this is the process we want to focus on. How does God do this? What is the actual process that God trains us? How does he do that? I figured it might help to be able to understand this. So we want to deepen our intimacy with God, our closeness, our understanding of him, by remembering his wonderful ways in the past and future plans. Now, the first thing we looked at is there's a crisis, right? There's something difficult that happens. We don't know how to handle it. Now, we can quickly run and make our own remedy. God's saying, hold off. Don't go for your quick remedy. I just want to get out that scraper first. Okay? I want to pull it along the walls of your heart and pull off some of that, that old selfishness. And he said, I don't like that part. And, uh, you know, it just goes against my grain. It's true. No one likes going hungry like they did. And we don't like going without. But the point is, once we go through that time, and, and after I scraped my, uh, the back wall there, the outside wall, it really needed painting then. And so, I, you know, everyone was quite willing to patch it up at that point, you know, paint it over, because all that bare wood was showing things. There's that relief that's looked for, that relief that's so important. That relief, that crisis, will bring a special insight into our minds. Insight is a sense of understanding of how God does things. So it's from our personal experiences that we can look back, look at the crises we went through, find the way God relieved us, if we are patient enough during that time to look to him, and we will gain insight. But most of us, you know, once we're right out of the hospital bed, boom, we're right back to our own life. We never really sat back and thought, hey, what is God teaching me through this? Or if you're going through a difficult time, why am I going through this difficult time? He did humble us. He did let us go hungry. At the same time, he fed them with manna. No one ever knew what this manna was. In fact, manna means, what is it? <laughs> we still don't know. But God wanted us to everything. Man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God brings us through crises. He relieves us, even with special miracles, so that we can gain this understanding. Now, my suggestion is that a lot of us don't have that proper perspective of the Lord or of this world. We don't know how God fits in this world, so his involvement in our lives is so little, it could almost be called nil. He's not really involved. He's our servant. We're not his servant. And so the physical world dominates our minds. We believe it promises everything. Now, to what degree you or I are affected, in influence, infected by humanism, I don't know. But humanism is everywhere. That everything lives for our own human purpose. So I go buy this, I do that, I get this job to please me. That's called humanism. I am the one who makes the decision in this world. Does that sound familiar? It's part of your life? 
It's every, you know, all around us, every ad would go and cater to your selfish desires. It's just there to beckon you to be an idol, to set yourself up as God. Materialism. They want us to look at this world as just materialistic things. Even our, our sense of consciousness or, or, or things of this nature. They want, they're looking for the material aspect, what chemical or whatever uh, it, it sustains those kind of thoughts. They don't believe, many people don't believe there's a spiritual aspect to this world. So their conclusions in all their fields of research or their sense of the way they deal with us are all materialistic. They don't care. Health care. You know, it, it, it's, it's largely no longer a dealing of the soul, of the whole person. It's just of the body. They not they, Many of them don't care your relationship with God. They don't understand why you might be feeling this way. They just give you some medicine to heal that or direct you that way. But they don't want to say, you know, your, your desires of getting this and your anxiety is causing this. Why don't you put your anxiety away and trust God? That's God's solution. But doctors don't say that. They will give you a prescription. They don't know how God fits in the whole picture. So the solution is only a part of life. Soul care. Psychotherapy. But who cares for us, really? Who, they don't even, most of the psychotherapists don't even believe in God. They don't believe in the spiritual world. And yet, now, I get upset. Ooh, you know, I'm down to the counselor who doesn't believe in God. And we look. Now, why, who someone doesn't believe in the soul or God, would I go get advice to how I handle my soul needs? We just don't understand how this physical world is. You know, we have the solutions around us, but they're so, they're only part of the solution. Now, I'm not trying to rid out all these other things. I'm saying we need a good balance. And the balance is not just, as he said, the bread alone. Bread's important. We don't deny eating the food and element part, material part. We need the other aspect with it, the spiritual part. They both come together. And that's what's so important. Uh, environmentalism. Uh, this is another one. I, I'll spend a little bit more time on this one. I'm calling these outsights, by the way, rather than insights. Okay? Uh, those are things that are out of perspective rather than in perspective. This environmentalism has become a green religion. It's, it's, to some people, it's all material world. For others, it, it's, it, it is a spiritual experience. And I'll maybe explain a little bit more. I don't want to spend too much time. But the point is, for people, the survival of the earth, uh, the earth spirit, I should say, uh, is the main goal in the world. It has become their god of maintaining its harmony. And you do this through different means. Now, it's different people take it a different way. But it, this philosophy or religion is all around us now, comes out in the different movies, comes out everywhere uh, you would turn. But it, it's not just in these small places as if people care about the earth. It's in the earth charter, way up there in the world government, that is in charge of everything, wanting to make every nation succumb and to make it pay its taxes and fulfill it. I use the word Mother Earth here, and some of us just use it without a sense of deity. But there are, by the way, many 
Mother Earth, they call Gaia, and they actually worship and celebrate. Uh, this, is, this is no joke. Just look it up on the web and you'll find plenty. The sin of this green religion to be insensitive to the earth. Insensitive to what point? Well, you're breathing too much. You're using up too much oxygen. You're causing an imbalance. You know, you need people, because what we're doing, we become, because of our existence, become the offending element, the threatening the earth. I'm just saying, if you bring this to another logical argument, where they are at, they will have every reason just to destroy people because they are the offenders. The redemption, carbon offsets, ties, taxes to the government so they can come up with some good solutions. This is all around us now. These governments are just absorbing this. Now, you might not think this is anything, but I'm saying for most people, this is one of those extreme things. But it's become popular and normal for many of us. It's great to recycle. I take my garbage. I plant it in, the gar in, the, in our yard, and it becomes soil. I do that. But not because I worship the earth. God made the earth. God sustains the earth. It is not man who's going to save the earth. It's God who is going to accomplish what he wants on earth and destroy it and make a new one. He's very clearly said this. That does not at all give us any authority to destroy what's on earth. Quite on the contrary. We are not the offenders. People are precious and, and wonderful. But to hold up the life of an owl to a person, which is more important... Why are we killing millions of children a year, aborting them? Why? They're in the way. See, we've taken out what God values, who got man, who's made in the image of God. We uplifted other elements of creation that are not made in the image of God. This distinct purpose is a balance, something that needs to be built into our minds. Otherwise, we will get caught up in what happens on this world. Here's something from one, one website. Are you one of Gaia's children? Would you like to not only learn, but help educate others about our mother? Learn ways to help Gaia and yourself. Learn to compost, recycle, alternative cleaning, paper products. And this is where our world's going. The whole New Age movement, you know, a sense of trying to keep that harmony, but totally rejecting the God who made the earth, the purpose he made the earth. So let me go back. God in Deuteronomy 8.10 says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. God wants us to grow. Now, how does he do this? Well, we find, first of all, is the blessing. He, he gives us good things in our life. What good thing has he given your life? Can you just think of one? What's one good thing he's given your life? You might say, I had a good breakfast. And uh, I enjoyed that banana or drink of orange juice, uh, a cup of coffee. I, I don't know what you have. But it, it's that blessing. It, it's something we, we slow down enough that blessing becomes appreciation to God who provided that. It might be a person in your family. It might be your parents. It might be that, that teacher. It might be that friend. It might be... You know, during a storm, the protection from the elements. 
But let me ask here. You see, if the path of growth from blessing to appreciation, we only can get there if we slow down enough and remember that the blessing really is from God, that really he really has given me these things, and they really touch my life. I really am thankful to you. You see, you connect him. There's that involvement. Now, when I say grace at a table, am I appreciating God? Am I thanking God? I'm physically saying thanks. But is it connecting? Do I have a heartfelt appreciation of God providing these things? Do you? You see, you have to step beyond that line. Otherwise, the mere thanks is, can just be a hardening of your heart. Unless you break through and start listing the things he's given you to pause and appreciate the great things he's given you. Maybe good health at this point. Maybe a car to travel. Maybe a bus to travel. Whatever it might be. An umbrella during a storm. You know, and, and just say that, wow, Lord, you know, I really appreciate that. You help me remind to have it. And I have one. I appreciate that. Your care for me. When you do that, you are in taking that involvement of God in your life. And you're taking that blessing and sending it back up in appreciation. And it really brings you closer and a closer intimacy with God. If you refuse to do that, we'll look at that in, this, in a moment, you will not find this cycle of growth. The intimacy all of a sudden should develop into a sense of obedience. Oh yeah, I really do want to obey God. There's also a cycle of decline. It's, it works opposite. But could you read with me these verses? Beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God. And I probably, for most of us, we live in a materialistic age. We have so many things. This is a very good warning for us. Beware. You say, why? Beware of what? Beware lest you forget the Lord your God. In other words, we have the blessing, but we lack, lack the appreciation. It's just there. We take it for granted. We take it for granted. There's no longer a connection between God, the blessing, and the blesser. And God is just slowly, you know, pushed aside out of our life. And this can come across in our life so easily. And brings us on to no appreciation down to actual disobedience. Because no longer are we really trying to build up our intimacy and affection and our obedience to God. Instead, we're proud. We forget the Lord. We forget that these are the Lord's blessings. I always had these things. We never connected the blessings with God. And unless you have a proper picture of God, all these things will actually keep you from God rather than draw you close. Each of us can use this moment to turn to God and draw close to him. I will just close here. Obedience to the Lord's command is what God wants in our life. Remembering his great ways. You'll remember the Lord. You, therefore, keep the commandments of the Lord. So what do you do in your life? Look for quick remedies. I challenge you. Embrace God's good purposes. God has a good plan for your life. Trust him no matter what. 
Understand life's experiences. Look back and interpret all the experiences you go through in light of God. He gives you a holistic perspective. Respond to our Lord's dealing. Respond to the Lord's love by obedience and remembering his ways in your love. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good for you in the end. That's our loving God, a wonderful God. He loved us so much, he sent his only son into the world to die, that we could forever enjoy the riches that he provides for us. That's a good God to follow, to proclaim, to serve, and necessary to die for. He's so gracious. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we want to praise you and thank you for your great love you have for us. We ask, Lord, indeed, that you would forgive us for our sin and our callousness. We ask that you would scrape away, Lord, any of that hardness, any ways, Lord, that we have not really appreciated your love and care for us. Would you please help us, O Lord? It's you who have been with us even through our trials. Awaken our love, O Lord. Deepen our intimacy. And help us, Lord, to remember to live for your purposes, to discern your purposes for our life, rather than trying to help have you to accommodate us in our purposes. God, you are so great. We worship and proclaim you as the one who loves us, and we delight in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This concludes the message on Deuteronomy 8, Developing Strong Christian Lives by Reverend Paul Bucknell. Look online for many more resources on Deuteronomy and other topics. Biblical Foundations for Freedom. Online at www.foundationsforfreedom.net. Yeah.